Good evening. If you're on the East Coast, if you're on the West Coast, good afternoon. We are live here on uh, The Compound, and we are going to be talking about the bank run of 2023. Uh, we've got a special guest on here Extra uh, special. tonight. Extra, Extra special. Se- Michael, tell us all about uh, Samir before <laughs> we get into uh, the program, the, the actual so, content. Samir, you're on, what, what, what do we call the Hawaiian coast? What does that refer to as? The North Shore. Far West? The far, far, far West far. Coast? So, so it's been it's been a really uh, rough week for a lot of people, and we thought that Samir was the perfect guest to explain to the audience like what has happened over the past week and couple of days. Samir is the CEO of Allocate and spent most of his entire career, plenty, 20 plus years as a banker at Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank, uh, his family members that still work at the bank. So I can't even begin to imagine what it's been like for, for you. Uh, so why don't you tell us like <laughs> what, what's happening? Uh, it's, been a, it's been a crazy week and uh, a lot of us in the industry have not slept. I don't think I've slept more than about two hours since Wednesday morning when you know, some of the announcement came out. But yeah, you know, I spent you know, a long time you know, at SVB. I started in Silicon Valley Bank back in the late 90s. I was actually lending to companies during the dot-com bubble. So went through a couple cycles there, with, was there through 2012, then joined First Republic Bank, which is another regional bank, in 2012 and spent eight years there. And it's just been an incredibly crazy, chaotic, uh, and, it, and it's been one of those things where I feel like I'm in a perpetual game of prisoner's dilemma, you know, with what's happened with these bank runs. And so everything is pretty fluid. But of course, last week we had three regional banks fail. Silvergate, SVB, which is the big one. And then, and then Signature was uh, seized by the, uh, the FDIC yesterday. So, uh, you know, crazy, crazy week. So I wanted to, I wanted to start with uh, the prisoner's dilemma thing. I'm like one of the few people that don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. Like I was reading all the tweets over the weekend. And of course, there are some people like embarrassing themselves. But it's like, whatever. It's like a primal scream a little bit. If you're, if you're in the middle of this, it's, it's scary. I don't know which side I'm on. So I want to hear your perspective. Like, not that there has to be a side. But like some people are like, uh, how could I not tell my portfolio companies to pull the money out? Like we have a fiduciary responsibility to our fund investors, and that comes before my loyalty to a bank where, quite frankly, the people I talk to there might not even be there in a week. But this is about my career. I have to do. Okay, I'm really sympathetic to that mentality. And then the other side of it is look at these VCs who caused a run on their own systemically important bank. And what about the community? And what about the loyalty? And how could they do this? I'm also sympathetic to that because I'm on the outside of all this. That's what it looks like to me. These guys sparked and then encouraged a bank run. So, but I don't know, like I'm torn. What side are you, what side are you on? And what am I not thinking about? You know, I've gone back and forth on this probably three dozen times in the last few weeks. I'm sorry, a few days rather. So oftentimes what happens is what is irrational at first over time becomes rational. That's exactly what happens. So if you think about Silicon Valley Bank, so they filed this 8K, and what they say is, you know, we are having these ma- massive withdrawals on deposits 
since cash burns going, you know, higher in these companies, these companies aren't raising cash. We need to sell uh, available for sales securities at 21 billion. And we're going to realize a $1.8 billion loss. Concurrently, we're going to go out and raise two and a quarter billion dollars. Okay. Uh, you know, on, on the face of it, that doesn't sound that great. And then you look at their book and say, there's about a hundred and, you know, hundred, almost near a hundred billion dollars in held to maturity securities. These are kind of long-term and HTM securities are things that you don't have to mark down, right? As long right. as you classify them as HTM, but you can't really touch them because, because the rates went up so much in 2022, if you had sold them, they would have been a $16 billion loss, which is actually higher than their $11.8 billion in common stock um, tangible net worth. So when people started looking at that, they said, okay, well, what's actually happening here? On, I think it was Thursday, the CEO of SVB goes to this group of, does a 10-minute Zoom call with all these venture capitalists and says, you know, here's what's going on. Probably said two things that I think spook people. The first thing is, calm down. Let's not panic. The second is you need to support us. And I think a lot of those, a lot of that made, you know, a lot of the VCs be really nervous about like, is there something wrong here? And do we need to take some risk off the table by moving money into a money center bank and taking care of the uninsured deposits? And so once that started, and every, I think you've read the headlines of Peter Thiel and his founders fund, you know, ringing the bell. Remember, SVB has a very monolithic uh, deposit base. It's the VC industry. And it's a double-edged sword. So the VC industry is very close, closely held. Um, it can be a herd mentality. So you can get the benefit on the way up. You get a lot of new deposits, referrals. But when it turns against you, it can turn very quickly. Yeah. And so on Thursday, you had $42 billion in withdrawals initiated. And at some point, you know, I, I drew this analogy on Twitter. You know, it was a situation where people were running out of this, uh, what they thought was a burning building, hoping not to be the last one. But in fact, it wasn't really a burning building quite yet. And it was somebody tripped over the candle that was on the ground and set the whole house afire. And then it became a burning building. That's a great analogy. So Samir, my question is, um, so, so you mentioned Greg Becker tried to calm the investors. He said, I would ask everyone to stay calm and to support us just like we supported you during the challenging times. Um, it starts with the, it starts from the top down. And so you, you mentioned founders fund. I saw headlines that Sequoia also did the same thing. Are you nodding your head to confirm that, that, that they did that? I think every VC did. Okay. Um, but, but know, so, we're... but so if, 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 if Sequoia and founders fund had said to everybody, listen, Silicon Valley back has been a trusted partner through multiple cycles. We've seen this before. They're going to get through it again. I think everybody would have potentially calm down, but that's not how it played out. And once they told their portfolio companies to, to, to move, I don't blame any VC for saying, well, we're not going to be the last ones here. I don't blame them at all. It's human. That's human nature. I agree with that. That too. I agree with that. So, so remember you, you take asymmetric downside by not taking action, right? So you John, cannot yeah. have money there and, and not meet payroll. Right. I and mean, that's, that's exactly what happened with a lot of the Silicon Valley companies when the, the funds beat, you know, became tied up in receivership. What, so if, the prob- just- what, are, what if the problem here, what if the problem here, uh, Silicon Valley Bank very specifically wanted to deal with this monolithic monoculture. Like they, they did not want somebody to show up who said, I have a landscaping business. Okay. So part of this is live by the sword, die by the sword. 
you want this high flying, all birds wearing uh, VC uh, first clientele. That's great, but like I seem to remember the 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 regional banks in Texas struggling when oil prices collapsed in 2015, 2016. You know what they didn't have that Silicon Valley Bank did have? They didn't have an entire culture of oil and gas CEOs on Twitter being dicks about it. Like, so you you kind of like, you know, you you set you set up this bank that's gonna be like the center of the universe for this one type of client. Well, unfortunately, this one type of client there's like a little bit of debaggery that is endemic to the species. And, you know, I kind of feel like their best customers were not great allies to them this week. So that's a tough, I don't know. But again, how do you blame them? They're trying to stay alive. So it's, it's a tough situation. So, so I think you could blame, you could place if you wanted to, and it would be rational to place blame on the first people that blew the horn and said, Hey, we need to move all the, the money out. Portfolio companies move. And by the way, it was just founders fund. You know, Union Square Ventures is another firm that, you know, was reported to do. And Union Square, an incredibly great firm, very thoughtful people. So maybe you can blame the first people. But when it was, you know, VC number 10, 12, 13, 14. Oh, I agree. What choice do you have? Yeah. Because the best case scenario, <laughs> you're risking everything and the bank doesn't go under. You're not getting any credit for that. Correct. Like, no, no, maybe you get a toaster. From the bank, from the bank, you're not getting any credit. The downside is catastrophic. You're done. You look like an idiot, and your clients say you were not a fiduciary to me. So I well, 100% agree with you. We'll, we'll we'll put it this way. So if you don't tell your companies that, and the bank does fail, and you're the only one that didn't pull out capital because you said, yeah, what's the upside? You know, are I you going to tell are you going to tell your LPs? Are you going to tell your portfolio companies? Hey, um. Too bad, but I was loyal to the bank. That is not going to fly. Right? I agree. So, so at some point, you just have to do it. So uh, apps in Twitter, in a world where there's no Twitter, just regular social media, where things move a little bit more slowly, this might not definitely have gone this way. I think Twitter is like a primary means by which the meme of let's get out of this bank. Like, I know there were private chats and phone calls too, but I'm saying like, Twitter was an accelerant here. T Twitter was definitely an accelerant. Um, what was also an accelerant was, I mean, think about it. this happened in 36 hours effectively, right? I mean, you had a 40-year-old bank uh, go away in 36 hours, was that it was the first bank to go through a bank run that was almost fully digital, right? So, you know, now I can go on my phone, quickly, you know, transfer money. You know, in the past, you had to go into you know, like a bank uh, office, you had to go to a teller, you had to call somebody, it was really hard to get money out. And there are actually some banks that probably benefit from the fact that they still work in a pretty archaic way where it's hard to get wires out, it slows down these bank runs. So that was the other thing that really accelerated this bank run to the size and scale and velocity it did. So Samir, maybe we could take a step back and just talk about like how we got here. So this is a function of first and foremost, uh, the pandemic, Making, making the Fed take extraordinary measures. They left ultra-low money policy interest rates at zero for way too long. And then they went from 150 miles an hour to jamming on the brakes and raising interest rates to the extent that we've never seen. So during 2020 to th through 2022, there was a venture boom. Silicon Valley Bank is at the epicenter of Silicon Valley banking, per the name. And so its balance sheet uh, effectively tripled in mm -hmm. under two years. 
The problem was their companies were not starved for money, right? These were these are venture back companies that had more cash than they know what to do with. And so there weren't loans being made. It was a, it was ultimately just deposits that they had to move into securities. And so now we're saying that the the management really fucked up allegedly and mismanaged their liability uh asset mismatch to the extent that it's like unfathomable. And so they were buying mortgage-backed bonds with a 1.6 yield uh, a year ago with a duration. So anyway, when the interest rates rose, they got killed on their mark-to-market losses or ones that weren't marked. Their customers got killed. So it was live by the sword, die by the sword. How much, how much culpability does management have for not having more of the, more of the money just in T-bills and maybe giving up some spread but not blowing the back up? It, it, yeah, it's huge. I mean, this is a uh, this is a risk um, issue, right? I mean, this was not done. If you had a great chief risk officer in that in that situation, it probably would have been avoided. But this happened really quickly, right? So they tripled their deposits in twenty four months. And you're right; these companies don't borrow much. I mean, you may have a you may have loan growth that grows at you know one seventh the size of the, you know the the deposit base. And so what they looked at is short term, you know, treasury at the time were yielding nothing. They had a, something called net interest margin compression, right? So basically that is your profit um, between your assets and, you know, I'm sorry, what you um, get on deposits and what you can actually lend them out to. And so they said, hey, let's lock in, you know, one in it, 1.65 to 1.75 by going long, and then we'll put it into HTM so we don't have to mark the market. So we will eventually have these bonds pay off and, you know, we don't really need the money. But when you had 2022 happened. What what happened to the venture market? Well, deposits slowed down. Companies were burning cash. They weren't able to replenish those deposits, and so you were sitting there, and you have you have to now fix that by liquidating those securities to take care of those cash flows. And when that happens, they had to sell their AFS book at a 1.8 billion dollar loss, and they can't touch the long term. You just can't do it uh, because you can't take a 15 billion dollar hit. So. It is a little bit outrageous to have a bank with, uh, we'll go back to the monoculture. Basically, every one of your clients is in the same segment of the economy, and all of them have businesses and stock prices and prospects of going public that share the same exact risk, which is um, less active capital markets and higher interest rates. Like it's It's amazing, actually. To have a bank with such little diversification of depositors that you really have that idiosyncratic specific risk, to me, it's almost like malpractice to then have your have your uh, treasury bond portfolio structured ninety billion dollars in in ten year treasuries with no interest rate hedges, zero head. That's like that's malpractice. I'm not. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's criminal. It's obviously not criminal. Um, it's just beyond stupid. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like I don't know. The, the people are like get the regulators involved. It was treasury bonds. It's just mismanagement. Like it's it, not like they were funneling money to off balance sheet. They weren't doing any of that. They just literally don't know what they're doing. That that's yeah. a crazy story. This, this so this was a. Classic case of duration mismatch, right? You had too long at a time where you know rates were at an all-time low. And remember, we had 14 years of effectively zero to you know low interest rates. I mean, it was 14 March of 2008 to March of 2022. 
I, I wasn't in those rooms. I, I have no clue what the thought process was. I also have no cl uh, clue in terms of why not there wasn't some type of hedge. Um, right. At some point, you had to believe rates. Now, rates went up much, much quicker than anyone anticipated. So if you look at 22, I mean, you, you were at zero and then you basically close to 5%. And so that really killed the par value of those bonds. Can we talk about, about the government's response? So uh, there's a lot of people who don't like handouts and don't like bailouts and don't like Silicon Valley tech bros that are you know the billionaires. And I get all that. But I think the fundamental misunderstanding is that, first of all, the equity and the bonds were are, are going to zero, right? So mm -hmm. yep. the ones that are being the ones that are being you know quote unquote bailed out are the depositors. And we can't live in a country where you're asking people to do forensic analysis on a bank account or on the on the viability and stability of a bank before they open it up. So I think that the government between the FDIC, the Treasury, and the Fed, absolutely did the right thing. I understand why people are upset, but just talk about the reality of yeah. what potentially would have happened had they not stepped in. Uh, so what would have happened? Uh, this would have created a huge systemic issue. So the contagion to other regional banks, because there's now, I mean, the banking system is based on faith. And if you lose faith in the banking system, particularly with an uninsured deposits, this is not just an SVB thing. And we've seen this, like, we'll talk about it later in this conversation. We've seen so many other regional banks drop. I mean, you've seen their stock prices drop 30, 40, 50, 60%. But yes, this is not a bailout, right? This is, SVB is gone. I mean, this is not a ongoing concern company. If the depositors didn't get their money, those companies would not meet, meet payroll. This is not just a bunch of tech bros. These are people that are running companies that work for startups it's the, you know, it's the mom that works at, at a company who's drawing a, a really moderate salary, who is underwriting to upside of the company through stock that now may not be able to make her mortgage, right? So I, I think there's this fundamental misunderstanding that people think that this is a bailout. So this I, is just making the deposit call. I, I think it, it's not, it's not a bailout. It's a, it's a better way to phrase it as a backstop of the depositors. Right. Um, and I think that everyone intellectually understands why that's preferable to having the stock price of every regional bank in the country go to zero and all the deposits up in the air and nobody trusting anyone. I think everybody gets like nobody nobody is so crazy that they think that would have been better. Okay. Not true. Not true. There are people that want Lord of the Flies. Okay. Th yes. Okay. Fine. That I think that's a very small minority of people and they probably don't even mean it um or they mean it until it affects them i think most people like if you talk to a normal person not on the internet in your real life you'd say okay there's no good choice because this went on too long the fed went crazy too much inflation for too long and then they tried to fix it all in 12 months and no good options here are your two options you do this thing that maybe sends the wrong message and maybe upsets some people because it seems like, you know, the government is intervening and helping people that maybe you don't love because they are liberal or they're from California. Okay. That's one thing. The other version of that is nobody trusts anyone and we have literal financial meltdown. Most people off the internet would be like, all right, it sucks, but I guess they had to do that. But unfortunately, okay, there's, I a think there's a third scenario. The third scenario is 
the government did what it needed to do. The Federal Reserve's job is literally financial stability. That, like, hard stop. That's the job. How's and that so going? They, they, <laughs> they, they, in this case, they did what they had to do. It was absolutely necessary. However, to Samir's point, banks run on confidence. And even though the Fed did what they needed to do, Josh, you know the scene at the end of Casino where the old guys are in the room deliberating over who to whack and the guy goes, he's solid, but why take any chances? At least that's my view, right? Yeah. That's like what's happening here. It doesn't matter that the Fed did what they needed to do because you're, you're seeing, and I don't want to like incite anything, but you're seeing, you're going to see some real, real big problems at regional banks. And the problem with that is these banks are local to their local economies. They are the lifeblood of the American business. And if everything goes to JP Morgan and Bank of America, they're not going to be able to service these smaller accounts. So this is a real, real, real big problem. It's a lot bigger than Silicon Valley tech bros. Yeah, I think we all agree. 100%. Again, 100%. you look at the stocks that were crashing today, they couldn't be further from Silicon Valley. Fifth Third Bank is not in Palo Alto. <laughs> For, you know, First Republic has tech clients, but they have more branches in New York. So and it's uh, like 4, Signature 4% is New of York. Deposit. Right. John, right. if you've got that chart of, of regional banks, so th- so Danny Kirsch made a chart of, no, I'm sorry. It's a, it's like the, the scatter plot. If you can't find the no big deal, but there we go. Beautiful. Thank you. So this is on one axis is the S&P 500% change. On the other axis is KRE, the regional banks. The circle, the circle, the red circle with the yellow dot was Friday, which is pretty off the charts. The bright red dot on the bottom right is what we saw today. This is or this is midday. So you saw the S and P five hundred uh, up half a percent, and KRE the regional banks down eleven percent. This has never happened before. This is truly extraordinary, and frankly, pretty frightening. Yeah, I I, I agree. And then I also wonder, like, just in terms of bringing this back to the market, um, the market was 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 there. There was almost panic um, that the Fed is actually not not only are they not going to raise by fifty or even twenty five or maybe even pause. Maybe they're going to cut. And so uh, uh, the stock market was, you know, closed down, but was up today a little bit. Yeah, One I mean, look. Th- oh, go ahead, please, Samir. I was just going to mention, I mean, you, you said something, Michael, earlier about, you know, the lifeblood of, of the U.S. These regional banks are absolutely critical. If the, they go away, we basically have a two-tier banking system. You have basically the big money center banks that have all the deposits and then you have these small credit unions where and consumer banks where it doesn't really matter because most of the clients have uh, accounts that are sub 250. But as a business, you I mean, these banks run on the fact that they have on balance sheet deposits they can use to lend. And if they don't have those deposits, the cost of funds goes up. They have to charge more. And this is not a good thing. And you're right. The big banks are not actually set up to take care of these small businesses. I mean, you, a lot of a lot of the businesses went to JP Morgan over the weekend. And you know what JP Morgan told them? You're too small for us. So what do you do? We're we're probably never going to have an F uh we're probably never going to have a depositor wipeout ever again in this country based on what we just witnessed today. Is that you think you guys think that's accurate? We haven't I yet. I don't think and I don't think one. we can now. I think that's I well, so what does just, this what does this do? What does this do to FDIC insurance? Does does it go up to five million dollars? And I, what does this do to bank? What does this do to banks' profits? I mean, are banks like going to be uninvestable to, with, with whatever regulation is coming? The down regulations the that are coming, it's going to be a choice. No, no more FDIC or FDIC is now unlimited. But as but, a result, but as a result, 
you are basically a utility. Right. You are a regulated utility in the financial system, love it or hate it. And if you're a shadow bank or you're a, an app or you're a fintech that wants to do lending, we we wish you the best of luck. You are but outside so- of the system. We will not, and we will not vouch for you and enjoy the lawsuits. All right. So, but, but, so what does that do to the American economy in terms of our dynamism and willingness to lend and take chances? And Samir, what do you think this means? Like, what does this mean for, for the future of innovation and venture capital funding? Who's writing checks right now? It, it's it, well, so there, there's two things, right? So not having a player like as SVB banked 50% of the startups in the U S right. And by the way, not just the U S the global and right. so not having them as a capital provider, right? JP Morgan is not doing early stage venture debt, right? So the, so many companies relied on SVB, not only to do their servicing, but to provide them non-dilutive financing when they needed in the early days. So you take that off the table and you look at some of these other banks, like First Republic is not doing venture debt, uh, not, at the, not at the level of SVB. And w- what happens with this gap? So- SVB has not been acquired. Now, SVB's UK, you know, got acquired, I think, yesterday by HSBC. So that helps in the UK. But in the US, this is not a good thing at all for the tech and life sciences industry because SVB was the beacon from a banking perspective in providing them the financing they needed. So this is not good. So I, I also look at it and say, okay, if all these, all these deposits either go to the big banks or they go off balance sheet, meaning they sit in treasuries, they sit in things like insured cash sweep. Well, what happens to the cost of funds at these banks? How do you lend without charging, you know, exorbitant fees? So that's, that's what I really worry about. You know, how do you respond? Samir, playing, playing the devil's at playing the devil's advocate. Wouldn't you agree that, uh, maybe there was an, there was an overabundance of bad ideas slash get rich quick mentality founders getting funded in 2020 and 2021. And this is just the other side of that. And maybe it'll be a healthier funding environment if there is a lot of pain. And like, maybe there was just too much money available to too many people without enough due diligence or without enough care about reaching profitability. Like there's gotta be some element of that, that it will be good to get out of the way and then maybe have the cream rise to the top. Is, it, yeah, is that I mean, at all yeah, possible? Yeah, I mean, 2020 and 21 were crazy. So yeah, I agree. That's not, a, that's not like representative yeah, it, of most years. No, nah, 2021 was the most anomalous year. I mean, it, it was just crazy town, right? So you had, you know, 10 trillion pumped into the system. You know, everybody was, I mean, there was no semblance of risk. No one thought they were taking any risk. And you had the ninth derivative of a grocery delivery company getting funded and raising like $100 million. That doesn't make any sense. In 2022, and even coming into 23, we've returned to sobriety. But that's from an equity standpoint. You still need somebody that can serve this market, and and eliminating, F, you know, someone like SVB as a lender is not a good thing. Um, so uh, yes, you're right. I this is a much healthier environment, but it's not healthy for regional banks to fail. Right? These are two different things. Right. I agree. Is there anyone you could think of off the top of your head that if they wanted to? could step into that breach um, and do maybe not everything SVB did for the ecosystem, but did enough of the good things that uh, the Valley gets back on its feet. Can you think of anyone? So, so, yeah. So fortunately, I mean, we're at a place now, there's m- many more sort of banks that focus on technology. When I started 
it was SVB and it was like Imperial Bank or Comerica, which, it, you know, Comerica bought Imperial. Today, there, you know, there's the, you know, folks like Comerica, there's the PacWest, there's the Bridge Banks or Western Alliance. All of these banks can take a little bit. JP Morgan at the, you know, mid to late stage, they're, they're lending to those companies. Uh, the big banks right. are lending. There's venture debt firms. So there is, but remember, we're talking about a grand canyon size cap that svb that was a 60 billion dollar loan book yeah do we think that there is value uh just brand value to the name silicon valley bank is there any chance that there's a buyer um to to restore some sort of confidence to the sector or is it is it too late uh, so, so part of me is surprised that no one's bought them yet. Um, I still think it's an incredibly attractive asset, especially at the discount that you'd pay today. So one thing to understand about SVB, and there was a bunch of VCs that came out publicly, I think it was like 100 VCs that said, if SVB is acquired by a strongly capitalized bank, we're going to move everything back, right? We are going to move everything back. As a big bank, that's a pretty attractive thing because those relationships are hard to replicate. You know the innovation industry is going to continue to grow. If you look at the next 10 years, hard to debate that technology and life sciences isn't going to be a big driver of GDP growth. It just is. I mean, it just is, right? So, yes, I, I like part of me is like, why hasn't anybody bought it? Now, there was a, I don't know if you guys saw this, but the FDIC apparently got a bid they rejected over the weekend. Don't know any you know details about it or that why. Founders, or, that was some founders fund. Oh, was that right? Um, I think that was yeah. from DraftKings. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, it's like if they don't get bought in the next couple of days, like I don't know what happens. It feels like it just gets, you know, it just becomes a liquidation sale. One of the lessons that I think the the FDIC, uh, the Office of Thrift Supervision, some of these banking overseers uh, hopefully took from the events of 2008 is that if you're going to do something, don't wait two weeks, do it immediately. So if that means seizing a bank, seize the bank. If that means selling a bank, sell the bank. Um, if that means distributing funds, just do it right this minute. And it seems like they have that lesson down. They are acting really quickly. And remember, we're talking about the government. Like the government is not known for moving as quickly now, some would argue they should have moved two days earlier, blah, blah, blah. I don't know about any of that. They, the crisis really got underway Thursday night. And by Sunday, they had control of these banks. And they said, you're getting everything back if you're a depositor. And if you're not a depositor, you work there or you're an executive, don't count on anything. That was what I think most of America, both sides of the aisles, would have wanted to see happen. And they did it. I think they should get some credit for that. Not the Fed, like the, the actual people functioning in places like the FDIC. They like they kind of did the job. It's like not it's not nothing. No, they, the, I mean, look, the FDIC knew the gravity of the situation. They had to do what they had to do. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, doing what they did with Signature, doing what they did with SVB on Friday, they had to do it. And they understood like the repercussions of widespread bank runs. Um, now, yeah, you saw the thing yesterday with the $25 billion um, you know, fund that was set up for banks to be able to borrow. You could bring your treasury you could you could bring your treasury bonds that you're down in. Let's say you have a 30% paper loss. You could bring those treasury bonds to this window and there's $25 billion sitting there 
to right. take those bonds from you if you need the liquidity. Okay. Right. So that's a little tarpy, a little, I don't know if tarpy is the right word, but it's- It's a loan, though. It's, it's a loan. It's well, a loan, well, right? Well, can, can, can we just make the point that in contrast to 2008, and I'm not trying to say everything's fine because everything's not fine, but a gigantic difference is that the things that were that they were trying to sell off was toxic shit that was valueless. Right. This is he, treasuries. Here it's they treasuries. They were mature. Right. So, so I, I'm sure people can make the, like, like uh, nihilists can make the case that it's worse, that it was treasuries that caused this, but it's not toxic garbage. Um, there's a, cons- there are conspiracies going around that, you know, a lot of this was really a hunt for, to hurt the crypto industry and, you know, Silvergate went down first and that's why, um, and signature had was, this, I, I believe that had this signet I, unit that like, like these banks, I know Silicon Valley bank is much bigger than crypto, obviously. Yeah. The other two, one of them was all in crypto and the other one was heavily crypto adjacent. Let's just say charitably. Um, are you hearing a lot of that kind of thing from people that, you know, the, there's a reason why these banks went down and the other regionals didn't? Um, or is it just the obvious story that we all know about the treasuries? And it's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, look, I've heard some of that, but, it, you know, SVB was, you know, I mean, it was because they were in an extraordinary situation of having way too much in these HTM securities. They couldn't pull it, they had deposit withdrawals. And then once that bank run started, it started. And by the way, it's not just Signature and Silvergate that have had issues. I mean, there's a reason someone like First Republic Bank had a ten billion dollar capital effusion from somebody like J.P. Morgan. Yeah, right. It, FRB is not a crypto. They don't touch crypto. Yeah, right. They don't touch crypto, and they're being affected. I mean, their stock was down to twenty dollars today. Yeah, but twenty so, bucks. So, in, in a twist of uh, irony, I don't know if that's the right phrase here, but. Barney Frank of Dodd Frank is on the board of Signature. And he's, kill, he's, he's killing it. He, he said, I, I think part of what happened was the regulators wanted to send a very strong anti-crypto message. We became the poster boy because there was no insolvency based on the fundamentals. Not knowing anything, I believe that, that Signature was taken out back and shot. I, it's, I mean... But if they were, I, he- I, I if they the were healthy, you could not have done... If they were a healthy Why? bank... Why not? I'm not sure. I don't think. I, why would? Why would you? Why would G- that even g- start? Given given the sweeping thing, why can't the government just be like, yeah, and you're done? It, I mean, I, happened, what do I, know? I suppose it's possible. <laughs> no, I mean Uh-oh. nobody can really do anything about it. If they decide yep. this bank's closed, it's closed. <laughs> I, I, ironically, guys, um, the the two safest banks, you know, for like tech and VC right now, like for these regional banks, is actually having had deposits at Signature or SVB. Right? Fully insured right now. That's, oh, that's right. <laughs> that, that's interesting. There's an actual press release now, <laughs> yeah. which is, is more than other banks could say. That's a really good point. Um, all right. I want to close, I want to close out by just getting your thoughts about like, maybe, I don't know if you want to use innings or percentages, but like, how far do you think we are through to some sort of a revolution resolution from a Silicon Valley perspective, like I feel like a bomb just went off and we're still in the aftermath. I feel like it's really early and we don't even know how much worse things might get for that ecosystem, but maybe I'm, I'm too pessimistic. What do you think? So we're, we're what today's Monday. I mean, this all started what five days ago, right? This yeah. is really early. 
I, I, you know, I think there are levels of Samir, that I, one minute, one minute, we were all very happily celebrating International Women's Day. <laughs> and then the next, <laughs> the next thing you knew, right, it's, it's really, really recent. Well, can we yeah. agree, like, banking will never be the same. Uh, this is it. It's, there's a before and after. But I, 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 I don't think true. all of that is bad, though, right? So, you know, number one, I think every treasury function at these banks needs to be reevaluated. I think the governance... Remember, you know, banks under $250 billion didn't have to have that same level of governance. The same, you know, things like LCR, liquidity coverage ratios. I think that gets all re-looked at. But wait, but wait, Samir, Samir, this is, this, is, this is part of the Dodd-Frank thing. So Dodd-Frank, it was, fi- it was over $50 billion. That was the threshold. It was. That's and right. he, had, he had a proposal to raise it to 250 and Signature Bank was right on the line of 50 and so he he said like this has nothing to do with Signature Bank. I propose whatever. Uh, that's going to get another a closer look for sure. Oh, hundred percent. Look, that's going to that's going to have a bigger look. But it's all of these businesses now that are that have lost faith faith in the the traditional banking system in terms of non insured deposits. Like, what do yeah. you do? Um, one interesting thing that could come of this is uh, a more st- st- uh, a status quo of people and companies having their money spread out at multiple institutions in a way that, you know, maybe our like grandparents were more likely to do than we are. But isn't that way too, isn't that way too cumbersome and convoluted? How do you want to do this? Yes, we've prioritized. So we've prioritized convenience over (laughs) virtually everything. Will there be a bank that bundles other banks? Listen, unironically, listen, hold on. I want to hear what Samir thinks about that. Can you picture a scenario where a founder um you know gets five million dollars let's say for for a round and takes that and opens five bank accounts or I, I is think there no need for that now in the aftermath of what we just saw today okay so let's say absent like the fdic insurance not going up to five or ten million dollars it is cumbersome to you know have five different bank accounts like no one wants to do that there's two things you could do more likely what's going to happen and remember svb's average depository client was like 4.2 million either they move it into things like treasury so they put it into off balance sheet and keep 250 on on the balance sheet of these banks or what they do i mean there's these programs where you can put it with one bank and then they go to a network of bank and spread it 250 but you're still working with one single bank that's more like these are like the cdar programs there's another one called adm that basically spreads your your deposits over a network of banks up to the $250,000 limit. That's more likely than me going and opening five different bank accounts and keeping two. Unless, un- unless the rules changed and Congress takes this issue up and we have an explicit guarantee by the federal government that every dollar you have in a U.S. bank is protected no matter what, which is conceivable now. It's uh, possible. Insurance premiums are going to be expensive. Yeah. So- Less, less, I agree. Less, less I agree. Samir. I, I think that from from crypto enthusiasts, everything is a bull case. But I, I unironically believe that the perceived bull case, rightly or wrongly, for crypto, which is ripping today, like is this going to be a watershed moment for adoption of of crypto and DeFi and whatever, whatever? I'm seeing the laser eyes back. So <laughs> if that's an indication of everything, look, I mean, you know, we are seeing people in the crypto world saying, "Look, I told you so." Decentralization. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not there yet. There are two. There are two reactions you could have this week. Uh, two groups of people. One reaction is, "Hello, J.P. Morgan. I'd like to open an account 
The other reaction is, ah, put it all in Bitcoin. I well, think I'm more of the. Let I think I'm more third. of the former. So, uh, so I this is a paradox. If there ever was one, yesterday I bought more ETH because I believe in the United States government, and the only way for me to express a risk on trade yesterday morning was to buy a crypto. Why? Because I thought that there was going to be a a backstop. I thought they were going to do it. Oh, you couldn't buy like KRE because it was I Sunday. Buy, I couldn't buy SP. I got it. Was, it was Sunday yeah. oh, that's in the morning. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, good. that's a good point. Okay. Well, we wish you luck with the ETH trade. Uh, <laughs> Samir, this was this has been awesome. I really appreciate you jumping on on short notice and doing this. In Hawaii. Thank you so in much. In Hawaii. Thank you, Samir. In I'm, Hawaii, I'm no dry. less. You're the best. Thank Thanks, you so guys. much. Can, really- can we tell people where they, because I know you're, you're dropping threads here and there. Um, what's your Twitter handle? It's at Samir Kaji, S-A-M-I-R-K-A-J-I. Okay, so okay. Nicole, Nicole will drop that in, in the notes. We really, If she hasn't already, we really appreciate you. Thank you, Samir. Thanks to everyone who came out tonight for the live version. If you missed any part of this or want to experience it again, we will be dropping this on the Compound and Friends podcast feed tomorrow morning. Thanks again, everyone. Stay safe. Good night. Good night. Relax. Thanks, we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys.